Down the Garden Path, where each week we discuss down-to-earth tips and advice while doing our best to help you seasonally manage your garden and landscape. I'm Joanne Shaw, owner of Down-to-Earth Landscape Design, and I believe it's important and possible to have great gardens, which are sustainable, low-maintenance, and I want to help you make it happen. Matt Dressing, my usual co-host, is under the weather today, so I'm going solo. Uh, just when we think, so about our topic here, just when we think we've seen it all regarding gar our garden and pest issues, we learn about another pest we need to educate ourselves about. Today, we are discussing jumping worms, what they are, why we need to be on the lookout for them in our gardens. And to do a deep dive on this topic, I have asked Sean James, owner of Sean James Consulting, to join me on the show to discuss jumping worms, why we need to be on the lookout for them. Um, Everyone knows Sean, but Sean also, in addition to being a consultant, also designs gardens, speaks, and teaches, especially on social media, all about gardening and echo and doing it in an eco-friendly way. Welcome to the show, Sean. Thank you so much. And you touched on something really neat in the introduction. If you're bored in horticulture, you're doing it wrong. There's so much to learn every day. You know, yeah. just just when you think you knew it all, is is a forever learning thing. You know, every day there's new stuff to learn. I, I just was listening to a presentation last night on the evolution of plants by Daryl Blay from the Niagara Park School for the Master Gardeners and was quite fascinated to find out that water lilies were the first blooming plant. I, I really, that caught me off guard. I thought, that's so cool. And every day, if you're doing it right, every day is full of, no kidding, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, that is really interesting. I was recently at Longwood and learned about, and, and he was, I, and I feel bad that I forget the gentleman's name, but he was telling us he did a little like 10 minute speech about, and who knew there was that much to talk about with water lilies and water plants. And he's standing in there in the pools and describing everything around us. And it was just fascinating. And yes, and yeah. that is one topic I haven't done on the, we haven't done on the show, but uh, that is very interesting to learn that they were one of the first plants or the first plant. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was magnolias, but no, no. Although magnolias were pollinated by beetles. Beetles were the first pollinators. So that's neat too. Like it's yeah. just a never ending process of no kidding. Yes, yes. No kidding. See, and I, I don't know why I would have thought it would have been trees. Like a, a certain kind of, well, you said magnolia, but that's flower. Yeah, flowering. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I'm sure many people would Me say an apple tree. <laughs> right <laughs> yeah what we're, what we're most used to and they seem yeah. simple although they they really aren't no no for sure for sure so this is a new and kind well kind of new topic but uh, I think many of our listeners may not be aware and it sounds harmless when you call them jumping worms but uh, they are not a kid's toy are they <laughs> no no they said you're right they sound very cute oh but Aww. no no they're Aww. they're potentially well not they're, they're going to be devastating. Yes. So I'm really glad that you're giving me the opportunity to uh, spread the word. Well, thank you. I, I yeah, I, I really want to get help get the word out. And I want to educate myself as well. So what exactly are jumping worms? Well, I'm going to start with the idea that with a couple of really rare exceptions, all of our worms are not native okay. in in pretty much west of the Rockies and and north of the Deep South, anywhere the glaciers went, anywhere they got glaciated. Um, this sounds like a punishment. Um, anywhere they got glaciated, the worms got pushed back and didn't return on their own. It wasn't until the pioneers 
brought worms with them in soil that they were bringing with plants and such that they got spread around. And then um, as we move, as horticulturists move plants around, that moves the worms further. And, and interestingly, fishermen, you know, that worms have a pretty good cheering squad. Um, there's a really good uh, podcast called In Defense of Plants, and he was talking about worms and he said they, they have a pretty good cheering squad. So, you know, when you're out fishing and you might be way out in the middle of nowhere and you've got a few worms left over, you know, oh, I'm going to do nature a favor and dump them in place. And then that spreads them, which I mean, who cares? Well, the thing is that they disrupt our local uh, ecology overall. Like how can worms affect trees negatively? Mm-hmm. Um, our trees, again, since the glaciers, they adapted to living without worms, the slower release of nutrients broken down by fungi and mulchers like uh, uh, millipedes and, and you know sow bugs and that sort of thing, um, a slow release of nutrients. So the nutrients get leached away. They're released too quickly. The trees and the plants and the perennials can't take them up fast enough. So they, they leach away. Um, and, and they also uh, are soil engineers. And there's a, a study about how worms in general I mean, everybody thinks worms are great, uh, but for native plants, they're not. And and when they get into the wild, which is the big fear with specifically jumping worms, they, they really throw the ecology out of whack. So they, they slow down the growth, for instance, of our native plants, and that makes it easier for invasive species to move in. Um, so things like buckthorn can move farther faster because of worms. Like it's an odd relationship but it becomes a sort of cascade of events that makes this worse then uh the native plants are doing more poorly then the deer population goes up because the plants are weaker so they're feeding heavily on the native plants and that makes more room for the invasive species you wouldn't think who would have thought that it would be such a big thing mm-hmm. and a big cascade of events and the jumping worms in particular do what worms do but way more um, and, and that actually reduces the uh, effectiveness and the diversity of all the little creepy crawlies that live in the soil that used to do their job really, really well. Soil, forest soil should be spongy mm-hmm. and it, it is less, considerably less so when worms are around. Uh, but the jumping worms feed near the surface and really, really, really quickly, they're aggressive feeders. So they really quickly break down all that duff all the stuff that falls off the trees falls off nature under the ground mm-hmm. where the salamanders live where the bugs live where okay. seeds uh stay dormant until it's the time for them to germinate so uh i'm a birder i didn't want to be a birder birders are weird it just sort of happened um, <laughs> and uh we were quite excited this year we had an eastern tohi which is sort of like a sparrow in a tuxedo okay. and they're a ground feeding bird uh turkeys partridges lots of birds are ground feeding birds and when all that cover goes away, not only is there no home for cute little creatures like wood frogs, mm-hmm. but there's no home for all the spiders and beetles and so on that live on top of the soil, but in the leaf litter. That oh, leaf yeah. litter is gone. Where do they live? So now, uh, again, you get this cascade of events where all those things are gone. So now there's nothing for the birds to feed on. The birds, of course, move around a lot of the tree seeds. Uh, berries and so on. Um, so now you don't get the, the seeds moving around, you don't get the regeneration of the forest. When jumping worms get into the, the natural areas, it's going to be absolutely devastating uh, because it's going to change the whole ecology. So we've got to figure out a way 
to recognize them and slow the movement into the forests until maybe we find a way to deal with them right. and or nature finds a way to, to adapt a little bit. Slowing them. the process is, is key. Yes. So in our home gardens, we need to also be aware, right? That's the one thing we can control. I totally want to, you know, also talk about the forest, but um, in our home gardens, what would be the first identifier that, that we may have that in, have jumping worms in our gardens? Sure. Yeah. Um, it's, I want to be very black and white about this. Okay. Because I know, you know, for the Joe citizen, Josephine citizen out there, we like nice, clear facts, <laughs> but it's not always so clear with jumping worms. Okay. If you see a worm in the spring, mm -hmm. it's not a jumping worm. Okay. Um, they they don't come out. They're actually an annual worm, if that makes sense. Yeah, the adults okay. don't live through the year. They lay eggs um, at the end of the year. And then they, as near as I understand it, those become, those go immediately into a cocoon form. And that's how they overwinter. Um, so they're these little, they're, they're smaller than regular worms. Um, they do have a different shape and color, um, and, and they act differently, but you don't see them in the, in the springtime, uh, because they're, they're just really, really small at that time of year, uh, itty bitty things. Um, a, a jumping worm, whereas a regular worm might be up to 30 centimeters, jumping worms, and there's a few different species. Mm -hmm. um they're from asia uh and they're, they're generally seven to 20 centimeters long um depending on species and um uh, they're reddish brown to gray they are more rigid so our worms tend to be a little bit more flaccid uh these these have sort of more solidity to okay. them um they they have so everybody's seen worms and and mm -hmm most people would have noticed that there's sort of a thickening on a worm where the hearts are. <clears throat> That's called the clitellum. And on a jumping worm, the clitellum is flush with the body. It's not raised. Right. And it goes all the way around. I had never noticed that that thickening on a, on a worm is sort of saddle-shaped. It doesn't go all the way around on, on the other species of worms. Okay. And now, apparently, you have to euthanize them i imagine you could just put them in the fridge for a while and slow them down mm -hmm. to be able to look that closely and see it and like if you're really concerned um like if you think you have jumping worms then you can i i would say put them in the fridge for a while and, and make them go to sleep uh and then you can actually worms have segments and a, a regular worm has you know like 20 plus segments up to 28 segments Okay. Jumping uh, before the clitellum, from the head to the clitellum, because they do have a head, and a jumping worm has 14 segments. So you could actually take a magnifying glass and, and count. Yeah. You know, with that big a difference, you're going to get close. Um, so if it if it's 14 segments to the, to the clitellum, wow, I sound way. It is advanced. The stuff is yeah. advanced. They mm -hmm. can't can't you know and shouldn't dumb it down for folks. Mm -hmm. um uh so um it's really easy to move them around the cocoons are very small the eggs are like poppy seeds uh so you would get them i i know a landscaper in toronto who carries wire brushes with his career i was so impressed 
uh, I was telling them I was going to be on this podcast and, and they clean their boots when they leave a job. Uh, I was super, super impressed by that um, so that they're not moving them in, in egg or cocoon form from job to job. I was on a job the other day in Toronto and a landscaper stopped by one of his customers' places. His customer gave him permission to dump leaves into the ravine. And I'm like, you really shouldn't be moving leaves around. I used to steal my neighbor's leaves. And, and now we don't want to do that. You want to keep everything on your property as much mm -hmm. as possible. Mm -hmm. um, keep the leaves there. Keep the soil there. Don't bring new soil on. If you're going to buy plants, you should probably be washing the roots off really well um, and, and disposing of that soil in the garbage, not on the compost pile. Uh, and and making sure that you're not bringing them onto your property because even in a home garden, mm -hmm. they you might know what worm castings look like. You know they're kind of crumbly and largish by comparison. Uh, jumping worm castings look like coffee grounds. Okay. Uh, on the soil, and they they only feed. They do go deeper, but generally they're only in the top couple of inches on the surface. Uh, yeah. So they they do all their damage right on the surface. Yeah. Um, now, if you want to see your worms, <laughs> odd sentence, uh, if you water the soil with water mixed with ground up mustard seed, like oh. mustard seed powder, okay. that is irritating to the worms. It doesn't hurt them, but it brings them to the surface. So really only, you know, late summer, are you going to see them? But if you, if you water with, with water with mustard seed in it, then that's going to bring the worms to the surface and then you can see what you've got. Yeah. They also, because their body's so rigid, uh, they they basically thrash around when disturbed. Yeah. Because their body's so rigid, they can like come off the ground. Like it's 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 aggressive. Okay. If you just search jumping worms videos, you'll mm -hmm. see you'll see yeah. how creepy they are. And and they they sort of call like they they travel in colonies. It's most worms you're gonna see like one or two, and you'll see a lot of jumping oh, okay. worms as well yeah i've seen a few um, pictures so the, the colors sorry i've yeah. seen a few pictures yeah. and they they also have the white band is that that's the like, clitellum that's the clitellum okay so it is yep. it, you know and an earthworm you know flush. a typical worm okay it's flesh <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's flush on a jumping worm raised on a typical worm okay um and and if you were to put them to sleep you you maybe could see that it it goes all the way around mm. um, and it's white as yes. opposed to pink on a regular worm, okay. uh, whitish, creamy colored. Yeah. Uh, and they usually darker, like sort of a brownish color. Apparently they're darker brown on their, on their back, but how do you tell which side's it's back? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with I'm, that. I'm good, but I'm not that good. Yeah. Um, so those are, those are the big things. They're smaller uh, later in the season. Mm -hmm. They're darker color, less slimy. They're they're not so slimy, and that clitellum is white and flush with the rest of the body, whitish and flush. Mm. Okay, and if you would would you see yeah. the coffee grounds? Like, would you start to see? Not always. Okay. None of this is always, unfortunately. Right. So yeah. you you add up all the clues together, and mm -hmm. then you can take a stab at thinking okay i think i have these um and then you can go deeper and count the segments to the clitellum 14 segments from the clitellum mm -hmm. and and look and see 
euthanize them or whatever and see if it go if the clitellum goes all the way around but it's that's that's less sure um but you're adding everything up together and, and getting a good idea and then you can go from there okay. and what do you do if you have them you just yeah. make really sure that you're not moving them from place to place even like we we would like we have an informal policy at my company i guess all policies are informal that's mm -hmm. the idea uh it's not the law it's just an informal idea that we try and do this and so we don't bring soil onto a site we don't take soil off of the site and we try and recycle any nutrients on the site so what falls on the property stays on the property um okay. because even if you're sending it away to the municipal compost site and they should be killing them there uh if the pile heats up to 40 degrees uh, uh celsius for three days then that should kill the worms and the cocoons and the eggs but what about the stuff that's around the edges yeah. uh those the people at the at the landfill or at the compost facility could be picking them up on their boots and, and taking them away um so and it would also reduce our taxes you know if we can get people instead of trucks coming and taking them away every fall if you can mulch them on the site and you can mulch fully up to a foot of leaves onto uh your lawn and your garden without hurting the lawn and garden mm. um that's uh super important to remember uh, people say oh i get way too many leaves no you really don't um yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just good for your garden mm -hmm. so that's the there are there are upsides to this situation in that it makes us aware of the of some of the good things you can do for your garden as well some of the talking points are beneficial i guess is what i'm trying to say there. okay yeah so. it, it always amazes me there's so many people that don't really touch their garden the whole year but they're out there i mean certainly they cut their lawn but then they're out there you know yeah. worrying about the leaves and getting the leaves all out of the garden and doing all the things that they really don't need to do you know when they could have been doing yeah. other things you know all, all summer um but yes this this need to put um the garden to bed and have it be spotless before the first snowfall i because that's really... what they see the professionals doing you know i don't blame them mm. uh, and the professionals do it because they think that the customer needs it or wants it yes. uh somehow we got to break that cycle and, and that's mm -hmm. all about education so again thank you for what you do yeah, yeah. because getting the word out to people is, is key and there, you know there's so many places we can learn good information like the master gardeners of ontario facebook page mm -hmm. is is riddled with really good stuff they, they've got all kinds of articles on jumping worms actually on there which is super super cool um oh by the way there's one more super cool and okay. freaky thing that jumping worms do that other worms don't they they drop their tail they can just have a segment of it fall off uh yeah i know that's, really? that's a great well face. i didn't know worms. Yes, yeah we were we weren't videoing it but uh yeah. i didn't even know worms had tails really yeah well that the whole thing if you cut a worm in half you get two worms is the yes. myth. the half okay. with the heart the clitellum if that's not damaged then the worm can regenerate but the other half may crash around but it's done okay. um so yeah they have heads and tails food goes in one ending yeah castings goes, come out the other the other I love all the different words we have for poop. Insects have frass. Worms have castings. Yes. Uh, it's funny. Um, so, okay. So if we were, when you said washing, so, uh, and I was mentioning before we went live about some um, garden clubs are concerned because yep. of their plant sales are, are a big part of their fundraising. And the word is kind of trickling down that we may have to take better, more precautions 
in when we're sharing plants with friends or selling them in that kind of, you know, take them from your garden and, and moving them to somebody even else's the, garden. Even the nurseries. Oh, so fairness. is it, yeah. So is it a nursery thing? So I order plants sure. from my grower, you know, so is it yeah. something that the I'm going to have to, we're going to have to start doing? So the garden clubs can be um, bare rooting the plants, washing the root systems and really well, and then repotting them with, with fresh compost that's properly uh, sterilized, properly heated up. The nurseries, if they're using a good compost, because they use a compost mix for potting stuff nowadays, yeah. if they're doing that, then then their plants should be safe. Okay. Uh, if some of the smaller nurseries, that's a little tougher for them to do. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying that smaller is bad. I, I think we got to support our crazy little garden centers run by Absolutely. crazy little gardeners. That's where yeah. the cool stuff comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, what? Uh, so I, people don't realize that Landscape Ontario, our big provincial trade group does a lot for the environment they have a smart about salt campaign they have a water smart irrigation professionals certification there's the fusion gardening certification mm-hmm. for sort of dovetailing um rain gardens and, and the ilk with uh drought tolerant landscaping there's a lot of good things that they do um and the so they're looking at you know uh, how do we deal with jumping worms because we don't want to be the people, the professionals don't want to be the people spreading these around. Right. So some places in the States have fast-tracked um, a bacteria, which is only goes after earthworms. Okay. So it's a targeted, it's it's like BT only goes after caterpillars. That's okay. Bacillus thuringiensis. So there's a, there's a, a bacteria called Bavaria basiana. And, and unfortunately, I don't have a... Uh, um, a common name for you there oh, okay. but it's it's a bacteria that just targets um the earthworms and okay. so all earthworms but keep in mind like we said way back at the beginning worms are not from here anyway mm-hmm. and if you, you know, a lot of our plants in the gardens are, are european in our home gardens and so they they grew up with worms they're friends right. uh so they may benefit from worms but it doesn't it actually hurts the soil biodiversity and hurts our native plants. And so many people are are looking to promote Save the Bees, Save the Monarchs, and, and are looking to promote better information and better plants, better native plants that are going to do more. And the big thing that we forget there, sorry for tangenting, but is host plants. It's less about saving the pollinators. There are specialty pollinators, and it's good to plant for those guys. Um, but uh, it's more about host plants for caterpillars because the caterpillars are the beginning of the food chain. They take right. the plants, take the sun's rays and make them into energy uh, and carbo and then carbohydrates. And then the insects get the carbohydrates and convert them into food for the birds. So everything begins there. And Mama Chickadee needs 6,000 caterpillars for a clutch of young. So it's really important that we plant host plants, things that the insects can feed on, not pollinate, but feed on. Feed on. Uh, yeah. And if you have one, then you will be doing the other if you're if you're planting host plants cool things like new jersey tea and lupins and so on even grasses and asters are food grasses are food for sulfur butterflies and common ringlets (coughs) excuse me and um uh asters are food for instance for curly crescents like a little miniature monarch um they they eat aster leaves so you know you're by by doing that and monarchs feed on milkweed and like marsh milkweed 
is such a good rain garden plant, but good for the regular garden too. So now you're supporting all of the things that feed on milkweed, not just monarchs. Um, remembering that, that it's about biodiversity overall and host plants, especially when we're choosing our plants. That's that's a way to make a, a really big difference in our yeah. gardens. Yeah, that sounds like that's a whole but show. Yeah, we're, Talk we're, about host plants. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, if, if we could, um, if we could fast track this nematicide, then uh, so basically it takes a long time to get a product legalized in Canada yeah. and then it's only you're only allowed to use it for its on product use okay. so only for certain usages right like I can only use uh garlon on buckthorn say that's not actually a real example um, but uh there's specific uses mm -hmm. so if you can fast track the not only the the certification of the product but also what you can use it on then all nurseries um, and even hopefully garden clubs could treat their potted plants before they're sold. And I'm, you know me, I like, I'm not a pro spray guy, Yeah. but there are, when you do the math um, where I live, I live uh, just North and West of Milton <clears throat> on a really wild property. And when we moved in, there were thousands of buckthorns huge buckthorns people are saying you should dig them out first of all you're hurting the roots of all the plants around it when you do that but more importantly mm -hmm. it just wasn't tenable yeah uh, and we had phragmites all around the pond six feet back from the pond uh it there's no other way to to control it so we we pulled out the chemical guns we hired a, a company called enviro spray to control the invasive species and, and they uh used a product called garlon on buckthorn and mm -hmm. uh I know everybody hates Roundup, but when you do the math, they used Roundup Weathermax on the Phragmites because there's new research that it's not bad for aquatic life. Um, and uh, the next year, all the Phragmites was gone and the turtles were nesting all around the pond. Uh, so it freed up habitat and all sorts of plants are repopulating that area naturally. Uh, so, you know, sometimes it's just not tenable to do it by hand. And and uh, even if it's a Sherman tank of a chemical like uh, Garlon, you limit the use of it and use it in the right way. So, you know, oh God, spraying chemicals on the soil to kill these worms, terrible. Yeah, but it's much more terrible if it gets into the forest. Bad for your yeah. garden in general, terrible for the forest. the forest. And all you have to do is walk through your garden and then go for a hike. Uh, and you've you've carried them all through the woodlands. And then so. the opposite, anybody who's a hiker can then just bring them into their own garden. That's right. That yeah. is yeah. We are the vector. I yeah, I did not yeah. realize that. Now, is that an issue like only in the spring? Because that's when they're in their little cocoons? Or is it even in the summer when they are worms? Like, are there still like, is the life cycle that fast that they're laying eggs that we could still? I, know. I don't know that for sure. And I don't okay. want to say yeah, something that I'm not fine. absolutely sure about. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my impression is that, yeah, they're pretty communicable as it were most yeah. of the time. Um, they, they, you're not going to see them until late summer. Um, and then, but, but you could be spreading them around at any time. And and I imagine uh, there's probably, I mean, there, there might be a gap of a few weeks mm -hmm. as they mature. You know how long it takes an earthworm to mature? Just a standard earthworm? No. How long do you think? 
I would think it's pretty fast. Like I would think it's you would. Yeah. yeah how does the or, how does the number yeah. 15 years sound? No. Oh my, yeah, really? it takes 15 years for an earthworm to mature. That just blew me out of the water. I, 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 we think that we're big and complex, and that's why we take so long to mature. But it's not universal. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, me too. Um, so yeah, not moving organic matter, uh, okay. even not moving soil around, is going to help slow the spread um, until we get a nematicide, a chemical that kills worms, okay. nematodes, um, registered then. Um, we we can clean the roots of plants, moving them around, try and deal with, you know, a reputable nursery mm-hmm. um, and talk to them about it. Mm-hmm. And if you get a glassy eyed stare, then maybe be a little careful buying plants from them. Because yes. um, I, I have heard tales of nurseries that have had jumping worms because okay. um, they can move from pot to pot. They're so fast moving and aggressive. Yeah. that they could move from the soil oh i keep my plants on tarps yeah but they can go they can climb yeah. they can you know get over the edge of a tarp and then get into the plants and and then they're they're mobile uh okay. or you put a plant down on the ground overnight and now they're, they've come up through the holes in the plant yeah. you know the number of times that i bought plants that had earthworms in them and of course until recently i thought oh hey that's good earthworms mm-hmm. um living and learning yeah and don't you know don't folks shouldn't beat themselves up about having done something wrong because we don't know you know you, yeah. you're trying to learn it's like the invasive species plant issue mm-hmm. you know people have done bad things accidentally yeah. no one goes i'm gonna mess up the environment and plant some non-native honeysuckles yes. that doesn't happen um so well, i'm sure there's someone out there but we don't <laughs> want to know them um you know it, it's it's just a question of realizing what's happened and figure out how to move forward from it okay uh that's that's the secret and spreading the word you know don't yeah. be canadian and sit in the corner and wait for people to notice you uh we don't really use water coolers a lot anymore mm-hmm. but talk to your friends talk to your gardening groups you know I'm, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are members of garden clubs mm-hmm. and if they're not already talking about it well yeah. get them talking they about it it's not something to be feared change is necessary and especially yeah. in a situation like this change is super necessary um so yeah and 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 be part of groups that that learn from uh from these situations mm-hmm. um because it's all quite interesting and there is something that we can do about it but sharing the knowledge is probably the most important thing that we can yes. do yeah. letting everybody know about it should we also be concerned about our compost where we're getting the compost from like you know i know you're saying about not moving, you know, keeping the, you know, and when we install gardens, we do tend to remove some soil and bring in new soil. So uh, we'll talk to my contractors about that practice. Um, But we also, um, and mulch, and I want to get to mulch too. um, uh, But yeah, so if we go through the practice of washing our pots or washing our roots, and then you said repotting them, and even for the growers to repot them or garden centers to repot them in in uh, better quote unquote better soil like how do we know mm-hmm. you know that it is the best you know uh compost so and there, even the bagged stuff that people are getting from the big big box stores yeah uh so i i mean for instance as with all things you try and find a good supplier mm-hmm. so there's a, a place up in st jacobs called one well, near st jacobs called the uh, elmview farms and i had a pile of, of their composted mulch so that's, I guess that's point number one. 
I would use composted mulch. And I don't incorporate it into the soil because that breaks apart the soil microbiome. I put it on the surface okay. and let nature work it in. Uh, I don't use, on the rare instances that I bring soil onto a job, I just use screened topsoil, um, which has nothing to do with jumping worms, but more to do with, um, I think I think when we use triple mix, we think our job is done organic matter wise mm -hmm. and the truth is that in a year or two all that organic matter is going to subside it's going to break down and disappear so it's better to institute uh, a program of mulching and then nutrient recycling mulching at the beginning and then i do a, 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 a technique called let it lay where i just cut the garden down in the spring in three inch increments spread it out if necessary and leave it and that's my mulch and that forms habitat for all the beneficial beetles and, you know, rove beetles and ground beetles eat the snail and slug eggs. Uh, so, the, you know, that makes your life better. It's cheaper. Uh, it looks good. I when the first time I did it, I thought, oh, this is going to look cheesy. I don't think I'm going to like this. And stood back and went, no, oh, it looks like I just spent a lot of money on mulch. Uh, so we, we, we just use green topsoil and then we buy composted mulch from a really good supplier. This Elmview Farms, there I had no weed seeds. The pile mm -hmm. sat for a year and no weed seeds. So okay. I know that they're heating it up enough to kill whatever is in it. If it's killing the seeds, then it's killing the pathogens. Um, mm -hmm. Interestingly, it, it doesn't kill the beneficial uh, creatures, which is kind of funky. Um, but uh, it, it does it does kill the bad things in the garden. Okay um and it'll kill the uh so if you're buying good mulch then it should have killed the uh the jumping worms as well okay so, so yeah we tend to okay. i love uh composted uh pine mulch is what i tend yep. to recommend for my clients to use um but doing a screened so instead of doing uh, <laughs> uh removing soil are you thinking just bringing in the screens topsoil on top of yeah. what the client might already have yes yeah, I I don't till at all. Okay. Uh, not even a little bit. Not even a little. Excellent. Um, yeah, I I I again uh, that teeming with microbes book that I mentioned before we went mm -hmm. on air, um, you're live. Uh, is not um, <laughs> not a well, it's not a bad read. I was going to say it's not a light read, but it it's a it's a it's interesting enough that it's gripping. Okay. It's still a page turner, mm -hmm. and there's so it's so packed with. Uh, with information that that you don't have a problem um turning the pages and right. and and they will talk uh, a lot about not breaking up the soil microbiome so when you turn the soil most people nowadays most on the ball gardeners know about uh mycorrhiza the beneficial fungus mm -hmm. that helps move nutrients helps plants communicate with each other helps plants take up water cool themselves and so on you break up those uh hyphae um, you you break up that mycorrhizal web. There are bacteria that glue the soil together. They make little colonies and they release a, a really strong glue that we're actually looking into for making glue. <laughs> uh, you break those up. Okay. So now those colonies do less well and it takes them a while to regenerate. And that's what the earthworms do as well. They They do what our native soil fauna does but not as well. Yes, they're aerating. Uh, yes, they're moving nutrients around. Yes, they're breaking down organic matter, but they're doing it 
out of sync with our native species. I see. So, okay. yeah. Um, so just to talk a little bit more about the specific damage. So they, the worms are, you know, depleting the soil basically, and, and it really mm -hmm. causes the plants to not be able so that the, you know, just so I want our listeners to really understand that it's not a, it's not something that's going to happen overnight, right? It's not like a nemet like um, Japanese beetles in our lawn where we see the damage, right? Right away. Yeah. You know, it may take, a, like, if you have them, it probably, like, how long before you see the damage or your plants start to suffer? I mean, that's, it all depends on the plant, That's right? going to vary yeah. too much from site to site, yes. from property okay. to property. They might be better or worse. I, I don't mm -hmm. actually know. In sandy okay. soil. To be honest, it's not just me. We, we are still learning about these things. They're yes. pretty new here. Mm -hmm. They've been doing a slow burn in the States. And maybe that's what you really need to remember is that most invasive species, you're right, it's not an overnight light switch click mm -hmm. and there they are thing. It's a slow burn. Um, people might be shocked to know that burning bush is mm -hmm. invasive. Yeah. And, um, you know, oh, come on, I've never seen it move around. The more generations you get from the cultivars that we buy at the nursery, so maybe only three or four seeds a year might germinate. But then they'll, when they get big enough, they'll cross pollinate and then the birds take the seeds, move them into the wild. And then you get more and more of them. Five or six years ago, we pulled out 200 burning bush on a friend's property. And there were some seedlings that were too small. She's got about 300 now. Now they're smaller, so they're easier to pull out. We use something called an extractigator, <laughs> which is a big lever with teeth on the end that pulls out invasive yeah. species. Um, but the neighbor still has three giant burning bush. Mm. And when you look close, it's like hair underneath all the baby burning bushes. Mm plus the ones that the birds are taking out into the forest that she's trying to keep clean next door. Mm -hmm. um, it's these, these things are, are slowly devastating mm -hmm. and, and trying to communicate to people who haven't seen it in yeah. person, the severity of it. Mm -hmm. It's, it's tough to get, you know, traction with folks, yeah. um, but it, yeah. it cannot overstate how important it is. Yeah. And I think that's one thing. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure you found this too, where clients that love when they call you and they say, oh, I back onto conservation or I back onto the woodland or I back onto, you know, mm -hmm. no one's ever going to develop it and it's going to be such a great oasis. And, and that's great if you're a gardener and if you, you are out there, but really it, you know, I try to say to people like it, it it's going to come to you, like you are going, you know, so or you, or what you plant is going to go to them. So it is, it is a, a really important thing to learn. And it, it's great that you have that yeah. property, right? Conservation or no neighbors behind you. But I think the greater understanding that, that that nature is coming to you and whatever you do in your space, you are going to affect behind you as well or beside yeah. you. You, you have a thing. new responsibility that you didn't have at your old house. Right. Uh, you've got this new wonderful place. Now you need to steward it. Mm -hmm. You need to think twice about, gosh, I just love, Crimson King Maples. Mm. Um, great. Good for you. Uh, they're, they're beautiful. Next to impossible to garden under. But mm -hmm. maybe you need to look at native species like um, uh, Ruby Lace Honey Locust, for instance. Lovely. Plays well with others. Fertilizes the plants around. It has a dappled shade. And it's a native bar, a cultivar, a variety of a native plant. Um, and you're not, you're doing no harm. Or at least look at things that don't, that aren't invasive. So let's say you love that purple foliage, maybe look at purple European beach, any of the purple European beaches to give you that purple. 
Um, and you know, there are there are other plants. Some of them are better than others. Schubert cherry used to be great, and then we overused it in our landscapes, and now there's a disease called black knot that's everywhere. Um, so you know, um, overusing any one plant is a problem. But you you're to to claw our way back to what you were saying. Yeah. Uh, you're absolutely right that if you have a, a property that is natural or not, but borders on a natural area, then it, it behooves you to be careful what you bring onto the property. And also I would say to control the invasives that are on your property. Like, as I said, we, we control the Phragmites and the Buckthorn. And I've mm-hmm. even got my lovely neighbors letting me help them with control on their oh, property. Oh, that's great. Because um, people just don't know. Like, it's yeah. not that, like I said, people are bad. They want to do the right thing. Yeah. Um, so know. once once they know, then they're like, yeah, sure. Great. I'd love to yeah. help. So one of the last gardens that I did this fall was just covered in. I really wasn't a garden anymore because it was filled with gout weed. Um, mm. So we did. So that mm. was a case. Is that a case? Like, was it OK? And we did remove. I said to the guys, like, please try to remove as much soil as possible because, you know, a little piece of root for gout yeah. weed and it's all back. Yeah. Right. And there's yeah. nothing worse than putting in a brand new garden for somebody and, you know, that being covered again in gout weed. Um, yeah. we, we, we have encountered the same problem and with other species as well, like Lily of the Valley, which is actually poisonous mm-hmm. uh, and a lelopathic. It kills the plants around it, slows their growth and kills them. Mm-hmm. But we have, gosh, you know, I'm going to have to get over this. I still feel like a monster when I say it. We've been using Enviro spray to control these things because okay. I don't want to be moving the soil around. I don't okay. know. It depends on how it's disposed of, right? If it goes to a municipal compost site mm-hmm. and they're super careful, then mm-hmm. hooray. But yeah. if they're not, then that's going to cause a lot of problems. Okay. Um, so the more we can keep things in place, the better. And so again, when I do the math, I'm like, okay, we can't leave these things because they're causing problems. These are drifting over into the neighbor's property, mm-hmm. uh, for instance. Um, so I, I, I have resolved myself to use the chemical guns when necessary because when necessary, if, so. if i can if i can if the customer has the labor and the desire or if if you know there's a volunteer group or whatever that can for a year and then again the next spring use a fork to weed out the the root uh pieces we've almost controlled the goat weed in the front gardens at my house manually mm-hmm. okay um but it was also i have a feeling this was a farmstead at one time because there's neat non-native things like perennial sweet pea in the back of the property. Okay. Um, so that kind of tells me that someone was here before. Lilac mm-hmm. as well is a good indicator. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's gut weed all over the property. <clears throat> so again, the chemical guns. We've been concentrating on the Phragmites. But uh, now that it's mostly under control, then I, I can look at some of the other things that if I can control, control them, then I can increased biodiversity overall and i think a lot about that here we we, it's a rental house to be honest Mm -hmm. and we were obligated to mow well policies uh (laughs) so we're mowing both sides of the pond but we've created little biodiversity islands around all the trees okay and then on the other side of the pond we just started mowing pathways we're still mowing it 
Yeah. Um, but yeah. boy, oh boy, the butterflies and the dragonflies. Oh. There's uh, butterfly counts in, in every major community. Yeah. And the Hamilton study area is quite large. And they were bemoaning the fact that there were no meadow fritillaries, another little small monarchy looking thing. And I, I wrote to them, I said, that's because they're all at my house. <laughs> we have a lot of violets in the lawn. And we have tons of these really yeah. rare little butterflies. Um, and I love my my not lawn. It's green all the time. There's mm -hmm. lots of flowers. There's lots of bumblebees, uh, things like self-heal, uh, Prunella vulgaris, uh, Viola labradorica. Heck, we have an, uh, an orchid that is a lawn weed here. Um, and, and my kind of weed, you know, wow. it's it's amazing. Yeah, Sphinx lady tresses, we have hundreds of them. We even have yellow lady slipper orchids growing up in the lawn. And um, oh who else? Uh, Lubelia syphilitica, great blue lubelia. Thousands of great blue lubelia. Uh, and it's just glorious in the summertime. And that's actually food for a specialty bee. The endangered American bumblebee feeds on great blue lobelia. So now I got to learn how to ID it so that I can see if we have it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is, is fun. Yeah. And now, like, that is just natural. Like, you didn't add, let's say, clover or anything. Nope. Like, you haven't added anything. Oh, gosh, no. No, you've just let um, it be. Yeah. I, 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 whenever you can just get out of nature's way and, this was a wetland forest a long time ago. And back in the 80s, when we didn't know any better, they dug this sort of necklace of ponds that runs through the center of the property. And then they used that fill to level off the property. So we are higher than the wetland around us. Um, but then they managed it with a very light hand. So we have really rare things like bottle gentian here mm. because it, it wouldn't have been here because it was a wetland forest. So now right. the diversity between the forest margins, the pond itself and the pond margins is mind blowing wow. because they just managed it with such a light hand all those years. Mm -hmm. um, now I, I have gone to the length of digging bits and pieces out of my lawn and putting them in other people's lawns um, because it, <laughs> it moves that biodiversity yeah. around. And then you yeah. get things like meadow fritillaries in Joe Citizen's lawn. Yeah. So that's a good thing. You know? a good and you can learn these lessons from uh, from what we do, you know, mm -hmm. from from observing nature and seeing how nature responds to things and how we can improve things. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've made a series. There's a beautiful horse paddock across the street. Just astral. You just calm down as soon as you see it. Mm -hmm. But it's a horse paddock. And there's a drainage swale that runs from there under the road through my lawn oh. and then into the pond. So we built a couple of rain gardens okay. to capture phytoremediate, so where plants clean water or anything, yeah. and then soak it into the ground. And then the soil microbiome does a really good job at, at breaking down organic matter as well. So by the time it goes underground to the pond, into the springs that feed the pond, then it'll be crystal clear. Okay. So, you know, that there are things that we can do. We've yeah. pulled the mowing back uh, three feet from the pond which A, adds to the really cool things that grow there anyway. That's how we mm -hmm. found, we knew we had a few of these orchids. We pulled back the mowing. Good Lord, they're everywhere. Uh, we I, I saw a painted turtle laying eggs in the lawn. So I, I rushed out and I got some two by fours and some, some wire mesh and I made a turtle protection cover. It's got a little hole cut out of it so oh, that the okay. turtles can get to the pond, but it stops creatures like skunks from digging up the, the, the turtle eggs. Right. Well, that's got to sit there till December. They they laid them in, I think, June, early June, I think. And so there it stayed and the grass grew through it. 
And then when fall came, I'm like, good Lord, the ladies' tresses orchids are way back here, which means if we pull the mowing back 15 feet from the pond, 20 feet from the pond, we're going to have thousands of these orchids. Right. Well, I guess we already do. They're there. Yeah. They're just getting mowed. Mm -hmm. So like really eye-opening stuff and cool. Mm -hmm. Every day I see new, I, I do a lot on iNaturalist. Yeah, uh, I'm okay. downright addicted to iNaturalist. <laughs> so if you, if you looked at where I live on iNaturalist, it's a, it's a shotgun blast of species, right. everything from fungi to, uh, to birds, um, eagles, osprey, uh -huh. little green herons, you name it. Uh, and, and a plentitude of insects. Mm -hmm. So, and you yeah, live in a just large property. Yeah, and you live yeah. on a large property, but I, I think you also inspire us that even if we live on a smaller property, we still sure. can have, you know, maybe not the same things that you have, but we can have what's native to our area, right? Or and natural. you can have the same things. Uh, mm -hmm. My old garden, we had a refugia pile. So I'm, I'm forever trying to teach people to not get rid of the sticks, pick some shrubs and pile them behind the shrubs. Nobody walked into my garden and went, what's with the pile of sticks? Because it was behind a bunch of snowberry shrubs. Um and the, the year before we moved, we had shrews in the garden. Mm. Nature's most voracious creature by body mass. Little tiny mouse-sized thing, but they eat tons of pests in the garden. And they were living in the refugia pile. So mm. like even in a little tiny, uh, and because of the snowberry, we had snowberry clearwing. Looks like a miniature hummingbird. Um, it's a type of moth and, and very rare. So you can have these things even in a small property. And, and, you know, if you can, little bit by little bit, your neighbors will come around <laughs> and you can give them, you know, yes, divide yes. a piece of nice aster and give it to them. <laughs> uh, and now you, now they have a native plant amongst their boxwoods and hydrangeas. Yeah. Uh, and that is food for something. <laughs> so, you know, the, these, these ideas spread. When I moved in, there was a little, my old place, there was a little creekway beside my house <laughs> and everybody mowed the creek. You're just a bad citizen if you don't mow your bit of the creek. And I started mowing my bit of the creek because I'm a good citizen, <laughs> even though we had chimney crayfish, really cool creatures. Um, and then one day I went, wait a minute, why am I doing this? And I stopped mowing and everybody looked over the fence and went, you can do that? Oh. And everybody stopped mowing. Oh. And it became a wildlife corridor, like a third of Milton. And, wow. and the, the biodiversity, now that creatures could get back and forth, mm -hmm. just skyrocketed in everyone's garden. Now you still get people going, oh, but there's skunks. No, skunks don't like wet feet. They're, that's not going to, you're not, it's not a skunk highway. Yeah. And also stop bothering the skunks. They'll <laughs> let you know. I've walked up and filmed skunks. As long as you're not threatening, you know, all the stereotypical stuff, use a software. I'm not saying people should go up and start pestering skunks, but use it learn how nature works use a yeah. soft voice don't run directly at something mm -hmm. nature's not going to attack you coyotes keep freaking people out because they they they'll walk beside you and stare at you it is called escorting behavior oh, okay. um don't run away learn yeah. how nature works but also you know don't be don't be afraid be cautious yeah. be cautious yeah. around all things just like they're cautious around us like there's so many lessons that you can learn we have we have a pack of coyotes here um they, they don't cause us any grief. We've seen them, but they stay on their side and we stay on our side. Mm -hmm. And we're both quite fascinated by each other, I think. Yeah. We also have great horned owls and screech owls. Um, and believe it or not, there's a family of uh, uh, sandhill cranes and a family of trumpeter swans that nest near here. 
Like, how cool is that? I'm 17 minutes outside Milton, like outside a major population zone, 120,000 people, 17 minutes away is all this amazing wildlife. So. Yeah, I think there's so much around us if we would just, we have to stop and take a look. And I I think it's a great, this is a great message to people to continue to just do less in the garden. Like, I think we all need to do less. And yeah. let, let um, you know, and I think that's one thing about the pollinators is people think they need to do more, but I think in really, in a way, Other way around. We, yeah. we need to do less and they will come and the host plants. Um, and that yeah. was a very good point for mentioning about the host plants that they need to food to eat. Yeah. And we're, yeah. we're both designers. Yeah. Nobody comes to me asking for something sort of palace of Versailles, mm-hmm. you know, but people's first words, I'm not under the car yet. They're going, Low maintenance. We want exactly, low maintenance. Exactly. But then they go to Great Lakes to control everything. Just yeah. let it go, man. Yeah. Enjoy it. Yeah. You know, yeah, teach your kids. Sure. You want to have fun in the garden? Take your kids out looking for wildlife. Yeah. Show them bees. Show them creepy spiders. I don't love spiders, but they fascinate the heck out of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many spiders cataloged on iNaturalist because I'm like, snap. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they, you know, it's all cool. Yeah. And and it's every day is is the more you learn, the more fascinating it gets. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to learn my bird calls. So I have a uh, an app called um, BirdNet. There's also one called Merlin and it will help you identify the bird calls. Okay. And so, you know, I, I wasn't very good at that. That's no, I sucked at that. Um, <laughs> and now I'm getting not horrible at it. Yes. Uh, yeah. Bit by bit, I'm learning more and more. And oh. don't think you can learn it all in yeah. a day don't think yeah. you can learn it all period like yes. you and i we're good at what we do yeah. but i don't know everything exactly um i'm always learning yeah that's and that's and me too that's why i love doing the show right i love doing yeah. the show and i know what you mean i'm married into a birding family and uh <laughs> so i've learned a lot and my boys my mother-in-law was teaching my boys from a from a young age awesome. so so they yeah. really had a huge advantage there um so yeah there's most of the reason so i much... travel the excuse is to go see birds mm-hmm. uh, i see other things yeah but when i'm there i'll hire a guide and go into the mountains oh. or to the wetlands or whatever yeah and that's always worth the money to me is oh. is hire a guide for a day because yes. they know where things are mm-hmm. um animals are creatures of habit we were in costa rica with my guide leo oh. and he barely looked to his left we're walking along and he goes, uh, oh, what was it? There's a crested owl. Yeah. And I looked over there. Good Lord, there is too. And he's yeah. just sitting there. He's oh. always sitting there. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Oh, yes. That was uh, one of their big trips um, going to Costa Rica. And they did that. They hired and, and did a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of that. And Alaska, we did a trip to Alaska and Bird Sanctuary Ooh. was on the list. So my mother-in-law <gasps> could see uh, you know, so uh, how they were, you know, um, helping, you know, it was, it was, yeah, it was cool. they really wow. wonderful. So, uh, so yeah, so lot, I've learned a lot. Um, and just as a side note, not to make you sad, but we just lost my mother-in-law a few days ago. And I just oh. think of when you bringing up all of that, and that's all what she's taught me, what she taught my children. Yep. And, uh, and she taught many others. So I think, I think birding is, you know, and being paying attention to nature and, and passing that torch on, 
Um, I'm doing what I do because of her. So this is a little tribute yeah. show for her. It wasn't going to be, but yeah. I think you've just brought up enough memories. And I know I have their massive box of birding books that I, I don't want to just get rid of. I want to make sure yeah. they go to people. And uh, yeah, it, it's, there's so much more to gardening, you know, and there's, mm -hmm. and even when we talk about pests on this show, the main topic was jumping worms to just spread the word and educate everybody. <laughs> But I think that yeah. it shows you how multifaceted that is, right? And paying attention Absolutely. to your soil, paying attention to where you get your plants, where you get your compost, uh, moving yeah. your soil around, that type of thing. So we've learned a lot tonight, today, Sean. I really appreciate this. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. It's always a pleasure talking to you yeah. and sharing information with you yes. back and forth. It's never yes. a one-way street. Absolutely. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on this episode of Down the Garden Path. Thank you very much, Sean, doing this with me. I enjoy hosting Down the Garden Path, bringing you interesting and relevant topics like this one to help you achieve a great garden. We learn right along with you from our research and from the guests who join us on the show. Don't forget, you can spend time with us down the garden path. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Down the Garden Path Podcast. We love hearing from our listeners. So you can always write us also at down the garden path podcast at hotmail.com. Thanks everybody. Thanks for joining us down the garden path. Mm -hmm.